for our focus and uh, God's word this morning, I would like for you to turn with me to 2 Thessalonians, not 1 Thessalonians, but 2 Thessalonians. And for the next couple of weeks, I want to look at specific verses out of chapter 1 and chapter 2 and uh, for us to consider this question. Is this the beginning of the end? I have shared with you over the years that I'm not a prophet. I don't have the gift of prophecy as someone understand that. I'm a pastor teacher. That's my calling. But as a pastor teacher, I have numerous responsibilities, but one of those is to rightly divide the word of God with you. Take his inspired, infallible, inerrant, authoritative word and help us all understand it. Help us all to gain knowledge of truth that's gonna obviously impact our lives if we build it into our lives and teach us how to live a life that is pleasing to our Lord. But also to rightly divide the word so that we would have knowledge and discernment of what is taking place, particularly in the fulfillment of God's ultimate plans and purposes so that we can see what's happening around us, the things we hear, the things that are taking place, and look into the word of God to determine how all of this fits into God's ultimate plans and purposes. When it comes to the question, is this the beginning of the end? I can tell you, I cannot answer definitively yes. One thing, the Lord Jesus tells us that only our eternal God and Father knows the time and the day uh, as we move toward the beginning of the end or the end. But when I study scripture and I look at what the Lord himself, right here in his word, reveals to us in what we call the signs of the time, he wants us to know the season. He wants us to have uh, insight and discernment on what is really taking place around us. And when I look that at everything he reveals to us right here uh, in, in his word, the signs of the times, and, and I see what's happening. Listen, not just in America. Obviously, we're part uh, of America and we're delighted to be part of America and we're hopefully you're concerned and burdened at what is taking place in America. But I, not just in America, this is worldwide. When I see the direction, when I see this incredible spirit of just outright rebellion against the Lord God of heaven and earth, his word, his ways, and his will. When, when I put those two together, I at least will tell you this, and I say this with all reverence, and the Lord knows my heart, if this is not the beginning of the end, if this is not the time according to his sovereign will, he's missing a good opportunity because it is amazing to see how what we are seeing, what we are experiencing, what is taking place and how it matches up with all the things he shares with us 
in his word. And so here's what I want to do for this Sunday and next Sunday. I want to take several verses out of chapter one today, but and then next week out of chapter two. And, and I want to just address this question, is this the beginning of, of the end? But I want to share three very vital truths that I think should guide us. If this is the beginning of the end, and I think there's a way in which God wants us to be living our life, uh, how we approach life, how we look at life, and so, and what is taking place. So I want to begin today, and here's the first truth I want to give to you. Just write this down. As we think about, is this the beginning of the end? If it is, you need not be disturbed. In other words, we don't have to be frightened. Uh, we don't have to think there's a crisis going on. We do not need to be disturbed. So let me explain that to you as we look here at 1 Thessalonians, uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. And I will begin reading in verse 6. Verse 6 kind of sets the stage for us, and then we will move on from there. But here's what it says 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 6. Paul writes, for after all, it is only just for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you. Now, let me explain what's taking place. As he writes this letter, it's a time where the church is growing exponentially. The power of the gospel is at work. People of, of all ages and people of, of different races and, and different countries and uh, we're, we're hearing the gospel, they're accepting Christ as Lord and Savior. And so Christ, as he promised in Matthew 16, uh, Christ is, is building his church. So there was just this, this great movement of the spirit of the living God and the church is growing exponentially. But with that exponential growth, they were also experiencing great pressure and great persecution and even personal attacks upon their life. And that's the reference he is making to here in and, and, uh, uh, verse six when he says affliction, to those who afflict you, that I means it's causing you trouble, pressuring you, persecuting you, personally attacking you. It was an incredible time with the exponential growth and the experience of great pressure and persecution and personal attacks. Now, I start there because I want you to understand that as we look at things happening now, if this is, listen to me, if this is the beginning of the end, then you can count on this. We already see it happening to some level. There's gonna be pressure. We've already seen some pressure. We're already experiencing some persecution. There are those who are uh, having to experience personal attacks. I mean, even this weekend, with everything that is going on, people are being pressured, people are being persecuted, people are having to deal with personal attacks. But listen, if this is the beginning of the end, you haven't seen anything yet. That pressure, that persecution, these personal attacks are going to grow exponentially against us. So the word that he goes on to share here is, of course, very, very important to us. And so he goes on to say in verse seven, and I'm gonna read it from the New American Standard, but I asked him also to put the King James up there as well, because I love the way he words it. But in the beginning of verse seven, Paul writes, and to give relief, that word relief means to give rest, to give relief to you who are afflicted 
In other words, those of you who are being persecuted and personally attacked, and to us as well. I love the way the King James words that first part of verse seven, where it says, and you who are troubled rest with us or with me. Rest with me, Paul says. And that word rest means not to be disturbed, to have peace, even amidst the pressure, even amidst the persecution, even amidst of these personal attacks, I am calling upon you to rest, to be at peace with me. Well, how can that possibly be? Well, the only way that can be is that we gotta be able to live our lives with our eyes upon a greater purpose and a greater plan. And so he begins to lay that out for us as we work our way through the following verses. So I wanna draw your attention this morning to four things. Why should we not be disturbed? Why should we be at rest? Why should even in the midst of what is coming, if this is the beginning of the end, why should we be at peace even in our hearts and lives? Well, he reminds them of four things. Watch this very carefully. First of all, he reminds them of who is coming. Who's coming? So here's what he said. Verse seven, he says, and give relief to you who are afflicted and to us as well when, here it is, the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire. His mighty angels in flaming fire. Who's coming? Well, the Lord Jesus Christ is coming. And did you notice how he words that? He says, when the Lord Jesus is revealed. Not if. In other words, just to remind you, I think you know this, but I just want to say it. We're not talking fiction here. We're talking fact. The Lord Jesus Christ is coming again. And that's in the bigger picture of how we're living our lives. Even in the midst of pressure, our persecution, our personal attack, he is coming. Now, let me just share with you. You know, those of you who have been part of WBC, uh, for the years I've been pastor or for a period of time, you know that I hunger. I hunger for a spirit of revival. I hunger for a movement of the Holy Spirit. A great awakening that would come. Not, not, just, not just in our country, not just in our community. Of course, even here, this church right here, just an incredible movement of God. I want to see a great awakening because in every great awakening, I'm a history buff, particularly a church history buff. I love to study what God has done knowing that he can do it again. Do I have a witness on that? And when you study every great awakening, you discover that, boy, there's an incredible change begins to take place, obviously. But let me share this with you. Here's the conviction of my heart. I still hunger for that and I still ask for it. But the answer to what is going on right now in this world is the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
That's the answer. It's not politics, please. I hope you understand that. It's not politics, and it's not science, and it's not anything else. It is the coming, the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what he's talking about here. When he is revealed with his, listen, with his angels, wonderful how it's revealed here, mighty angels in flaming fire. You know, when he came the first time, the people crowned him with thorns. The people crucified him on the cross, not understanding that that was the purpose he came in here to be that sacrificial lamb for us. And then they buried him, believing that was the end. Of course, we know, <laughs> hallelujah, that grave couldn't hold him, right? He rose again. He's extended to the right hand of the Father. But here's what you want to know. When he comes the next time, he's not coming as the lamb to sacrifice. He's coming as the lion the Lion of Judah, and he's coming as King of kings and Lord of lords. Listen to how it's worded here in Revelation chapter 19. Follow me in this, Revelation chapter 19, and, and look with me at just one verse here, verse 16, as it is describing his coming again, and it says in verse 16, and on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Who's coming? Well, Jesus is coming. He's coming again. But notice not only who is coming, notice second with me why he is coming. Why he is coming. He goes on to say, I'm going to read verse 7 to put it in context with everything else that is here. Beginning, we're going into verse 8 and verse 9. He says, and to give relief to you who are afflicted and to us as well when the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God. Listen, here's what that means, those who don't know God. It means those who had the opportunity to know him. Had they know of his word, they know of his ways, they know of his will, but they have absolutely rejected it. And he says, to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, watch this in verse nine. These will pay the penalty <coughs> of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. Matthew 24, verse 37. Jesus says, as it was in the days of Noah, shall it be in the day of the coming of the Son of Man, which is a Messianic title, referring, of course, to himself. As it was in the days of Noah. Let me just share this. It won't be on the screen, but let me just share this with you. Genesis chapter 6. 
and in verse five, what was it like in the days of Noah? Here's what he says. He says, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Brothers and sisters in Christ, unless you're living with your head stuck in the sand, you have to acknowledge that there is an explosion of hatred, there is an explosion of rage, there is an explosion of violence by those who have rejected the word of God and the will of God and the ways of God. Violence in response to the fact when anyone speaks up against or takes a stand against the depraved life they want to live, then their response is violence. And not just violence, but vile blasphemy of God. just breaks your heart even this weekend to see people shaking their fist at God, blaspheming his name, open rebellion against his ways and his word and his will. What they don't realize He's coming again, and he's coming to judge. Look at this, Revelation chapter 20. Will you turn there? Revelation 20, verse 11. John writes what Paul just wrote about John's giving us a picture of. Then I saw a great white throne. Can I say something here? We're not talking about the game of thrones here. We're talking about the throne. The only true throne of a sovereign God and a sovereign Lord. Listen to what he says. He said, I saw a great white throne and him who sat upon it from whose presence the earth and heaven fled away and no place was found for them. Who is this that is sitting on this throne? It's our Lord and Savior. It's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Jesus said, John chapter 14, verse 9, that the Father has given him judgment of all things. And here's what happens. Verse 12, I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before this throne. Books were opened and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things that were written in the books according to their deeds. When I'm trying to share Christ with others, I try to get to this point because the picture here is of our Lord and Savior offering all of these people in front of him a fair trial. 
He can offer nothing less. He is perfectly righteous. He is perfectly pure. He is perfectly just in everything he does. So he could only offer a fair trial to all of these people. But what they don't realize that if, if they are there, they're part of this group that's going to be involved in this fair trial by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords is that every thought in their mind is going to be laid bare. Every word that has come from their mouth will be laid bare. Every attitude of their heart throughout their life is going to be laid bare. Every activity they have been involved in, whether anyone else knew it or not, every action they have taken, literally every facet of their life is going to be totally laid bare so that all the facts are there. And it's at that time they're going to understand. It wasn't a fair trial they, they wanted. What they wanted was that free pardon that could have been theirs. A free pardon is offered to whosoever. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And again, this is a fiction. This is fact. You don't want to be part of the fair trial. You want to be a hold in your hand, that free pardon that comes but through one. That's Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. Who is coming? Christ is coming. King of kings, Lord of lords. Why is he coming? He is coming for judgment. But then notice also not only the who and the why, but the wonder of his coming. Look with me in the first part of verse 10 of chapter 1 here. And he goes on to say, when he comes to be glorified in his saints on that day and to be marveled at among, uh, at among all who have believed. What an incredible picture this is going to be. Let, let me give you this. Revelation chapter 19, verses 11, 12, and 13. Let me just use those. John again describing what Paul just mentioned. I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and he wages war. His eyes are a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, just magnifying his majesty. You know, in our greatest creative juices and imaginations, we can't even come close to scratch the surface of the depth of his majesty and his glory. So he says, his eyes are a flame of fire and on his head are many diadems and he has a name written on him which no one knows except himself. He's clothed with a robe dipped in blood and his name is called the word of God. When you read Revelation and 
they begin to understand who Christ is. And they try to hide. They ask the mountains to fall upon them. They are struck with terror. Because now, you know what's going to happen? They see him in his glory. <laughs> Their knees are going to bow. Are you with me? Yeah, their knees are going to bow and their tongues are going to confess. He is Lord. It's too late. They had already made their choice. They asked for a fair trial. They do not have a free pardon. But they will bow and they will confess that he is King of kings and Lord of lords. I love this right here where it says, and to be marveled at among all who have been, who have believed. In other words, now the focus is on us. Listen, listen, we're gonna be in such awe, such awe. You know, with our finite minds, can I just be honest with you? You know, we talk about Christ, talk about his coming, talk about his glory, talk about his majesty, talk about what we have in him. We're not even close to understanding the magnificence of it. But that day, we will. And we're going to be in such awe of who he is, what he has done for us. And notice it words, he words this. I love this phrase. He says, he'll be glorified in his saints. We'll be there with him. He'll be glorified in his bride. Who's his bride? The church. His followers. All those who had rejected, all who had been in rebellion, all who raised their fist in defiance, we'll see all who have been redeemed. People of all ages, people of all tongues, people of all races, people of some who had been in the depths of living a life of hell and yet redeemed by the incredible grace of God. And we're gonna be the glory, the crowning glory of who he is. Savior, Lord, King of all kings. So there's who is coming. He's I want to remind you who's coming. I want to remind you why he's coming. I want to remind you of the wonder of his coming. And I want to remind you, oh, I got to add this. There's a verse I didn't give to them. I, I, it came to my mind this morning. I got to give it to you. Malachi, would you turn there with me? Because I don't think it'll be up there unless James threw it in right quick or Luke threw it in. But in Malachi chapter four and in verse two, oh, I love this. He's talking about the coming of the Lord and, and it says in verse two, but for you who fear my name, that is reverence me, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings and you will go forth, watch this word picture right here, and skip about like calves from the stall. It's a word picture. Got a fresh new calf ready now to kind of be set free. And you can, you can picture it. You know, he's taking out Archie and it's just jumping and running and bouncing. You have new freedom like you've never known before. And you know, when I thought about that picture, I thought about 
our dog. Jethro. And so what, what does that have to do with Jethro? Well, Jethro is a weird dog. <laughs> yeah, Tyson said, yeah. All right. Here's what I mean. My dog loves to ride in my truck. I mean, loves to ride in my truck. He likes to sit in the front seat and look straight ahead just like a human. But here's what happens. I can pick up my keys and just say, Jethro, you ready to go? Boom! I mean, this dog starts hopping and jumping, so excited, so beside himself, can't wait to get into that truck. Now, here's the picture I want to get across to you and what is being described here. Let me tell you something. When we're in heaven with the King of kings and the Lord of lords, there'll be a lot of Baptists who will become Baptocostal. Unhindered in their worship. Joy unspeakable. Peace that surpasses all understanding forever and ever and ever. Wow. Recently, Kathy and I with Mark and David were blessed uh, with a grace gift to go to a Chris Tomlin and uh, Hillside United concert. If there were Baptists there, they didn't let it be known. My point, unhindered, free, to worship this incredible joy of the Lord, peace, blessings of him, the wonder of his coming. Let me close with this, the witness of his coming. Paul concludes verse 10 with this phrase. It's almost like a a second thought. He says, for, it says dash, for our testimony to you was believed. What testimony is he talking about? The testimony of redemption? Sure. The testimony of the Lord's resurrection? Yes. But the context here is the testimony of his return. He's coming again. And so as they shared the gospel, they were reminding him, you can have redemption. He has been resurrection. He is returning and you can be a part of that. And that was all part of the message that he was sharing, the cross and the coming of Christ again. And so they believed. Listen to me carefully. I believe we'll be with Christ as followers of Christ at the judgment seat, not at the judgment seat of Christ, that's for us, but at the great white throne judgment. Not that we'll be judging, but we'll be with him. Think about it with me. I'm gonna be looking out at all these people 
who chose a fair trial. And I'm going to see people I know. I'm going to see people out there in my sphere of influence. Family, friends, fellow neighbors or fellow workers or whatever. But they, they, they were in my life in some form or fashion. And I'm going to see them and know they're standing in this fair trial. I know they have no free pardon. And I wonder... I'm going to be asking myself, what did I do to give them a chance to be where I am, holding a free pardon instead of facing this fair trial? Because here's the results. Revelation 20 Verses 14 and 15, then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Someone may say, well, You know, the scripture says there's not going to be any crying in heaven. It doesn't say that. It says he will wipe away every tear. I cannot conceive of going to heaven empty-handed, folks. I can't conceive of that. What, What do you mean by that? Without at least one someone that I have invited to to receive Christ and they came to know him as their Lord and Savior so they can stand beside me with that free pardon in their hand, unearned, undeserved, just like me, but by the grace of God. But how many opportunities did I send on by? How many times did I, listen, did I chose not to say anything because I'm more concerned about what they think of me than what their eternal destiny is going to be. How many times did I use the excuse fear and now they're filled with fear beyond our comprehension because they're in the wrong group and they're going through this fair trial. So brothers and sisters in Christ, obviously I am greatly burdened. For me, it appears this is the end. This is the beginning of the end. If it's not, the same truth still applies. Why? Who's coming? Why is he coming? The wonder of his coming. Oh, brothers and sisters, the witness, our witness of his coming again. It's worth everything we can do to give the people in our lives every opportunity 
to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. So Father God, as we come, we got so much more truth, Lord, to embrace, to learn, to explore concerning this question. Lord, today, may your word grab a hold of our hearts, not my word, your word, our spirits, to challenge us, to convict us, to remind us of how incredibly important it is for us to be a witness of your coming again. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. God bless you. Have a great day. VBS tonight, and we need some people to help with the stage, if you would, please.